Welcome to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Wallace. Whoever thought that children with cancer would be the ones to lift us from our existential funk? Their wisdom, simple and personal, yet profound and universal, helps us circumnavigate these perplexing times. And fortunately, you don't have to walk in their hospital slippers to benefit. Wallace Books presents Jello Wars and Other Battles with Childhood Cancer. It's a book, it's a podcast, and it's life-changing. Because the kids have much to teach, and we, the healthy, have much to learn. Thanks for showing up. This podcast is brought to you by Arizona Camp Sunrise and Sidekicks. Arizona Camp Sunrise was one of the first childhood oncology camps in the world. For 40 years, they've been providing an awesome summer camp experience for children who have or have had cancer. And AZ Camp Sidekicks offers the same fun for the siblings of a child with cancer. Camp is coming soon. Camp Sidekicks is the last week in June, and Camp Sunrise the first week in July. The experience of a lifetime awaits. And thanks to the Southwest Kids Cancer Foundation, it's 100% free of charge. If you'd like to enroll a child for one of the camps, to volunteer as a camp counselor, or donate to an amazing cause, go to azcampsunrise.org. It's fun. It's exciting. And it's life-changing. Go to azcampsunrise.org and make a difference for both you and a child with cancer. azcampsunrise.org. Do it. Welcome back. You know, it's nice to have friends you can call on in the time of need. Hopefully, you know what I'm talking about. For example... When I need some volume and enthusiasm, I go to my friend Liz. She's, well, she's kind of loud and enthusiastic. If you need some proof, just check out the intro to Storytime with Uncle Bob. Yep, that's her. With Liz's help, today we'll hear another chapter in the continuing story of the snurf that snarfed Camp Sunrise. Plus, we'll talk about creativity and rockets. And we'll check back with Kevin, who's walking across the United States pushing an IV pole. Whew! Pitter-patter. Back to Jello Wars. Creativity, Rockets, and Ariga Bamboo Children are an odd lot. You've probably seen them around. and. If you've ever met one, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may even keep a child or two in your home. Strange creatures indeed. Turns out, they aren't just small adults. They're a different species altogether. Let me explain. Children are hopeful, idealistic, 
and inquisitive to a fault. All traits we adults could use more of right now. A child fighting cancer maintains that same hope, only ratcheted up times ten. It's hope on steroids, often literally. Children with cancer remain idealistic and inquisitive, not yet jaundiced by years of adulting. They don't care about politics, and they don't watch the news much. They focus on the moment at hand and won't let anyone steal their joy. Like I said, all traits we could use more of right now. And children everywhere are spectacularly creative. They believe in playtime and have at least a cursory understanding of sharing. Again, we need more of that, right? While it may be true that adults run the world, the children are taking over. One day soon, sooner than you think. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about rockets. Do you remember the race to put a man on the moon? I think most of us know the general premise. There was the United States and there was Russia, both trying to be the first to put a human being on the moon and prove they were the coolest kids on the world block. Spoiler alert, we won. Or, for our Russian listeners, spoiler alert, they won. Back in the 60s, it was kind of a big deal. NASA, that's the U.S. space agency, really wanted to win, and the government put all kinds of energy and focus and resources into making that happen. Back then, astronauts were rock stars. So NASA made a list of the traits they were looking for in their rock star astronauts. First, they felt you had to have a real love of science. Second, you had to be okay with having roommates in cramped quarters. Third, you had to have a passion for exploration. And fourth, I'm not making this up, it was mandatory that you not be afraid of heights. NASA found it imperative that their astronauts have both brains and a sense of humor. They wanted them to be both smart and funny. And finally, it was of the utmost importance that they be creative. Think about it. NASA needed people with enough creativity to envision doing things that had never before been done, to imagine the previously unimaginable, and to believe in the previously unbelievable. A guy named George Land developed a written test to evaluate each applicant's creativity. NASA ended up choosing seven guys, trained them, shot them into space, and they either landed on the moon or faked a moon landing, depending on your proclivity towards science and or conspiracy theories. Then they made a pretty good movie and haven't done much since. But I'm not here to talk about rockets and moon landings. I want to talk about what happened later. Remember George Land? the guy who devised the creativity test for rock star astronaut applicants? Some years later, he decided to give that same test to children in hopes of identifying their rock star astronaut potential early on. He gave the same test to 1,600 3- to 5-year-olds. So tell me, how many kids do you think passed NASA's I'm qualified to be a rock star astronaut creativity test? 10%? 20%? 
50? Not even close. The test results showed that 98% of random 3- to 5-year-old children were creatively qualified to be rock star astronauts. 98%. How about 10-year-old children? Of the 10-year-olds who took the same test, 30% made the cut. And 15-year-olds? A total of 12% qualified. Our buddy George then gave the test to 280,000 adults. That's a metric buttload of adults. And sadly, only 2% passed. 2%. It's no wonder we still don't have the jetpacks they promised us. I have a hunch that if the test was given to a room full of adult camp volunteers, the results would skew a little higher. But still... What is it that's killing our creativity? From 98% as a 5-year-old to 2% as an adult. Why aren't we adults even fractionally as creative as children? What George Land concluded is that non-creative behavior is learned. Think about that. Non-creative behavior is learned. If it's learned then someone must be teaching it, right? So who's teaching this non-creative behavior? Oh, crap. I guess that'd be you and me. But I really don't want to talk about rockets, moon landings, failing tests, and poor grades. I want to talk about creativity. Creativity can get buried in the rules and regulations. Good school kids and good workers are the ones trained to follow instructions. It's as if creativity is a threat. How many times is this true at school, at home, at camp? The good kids are the ones that follow instructions. Granted, we do need kids to follow instructions. When we have 128 to 16-year-olds, 15 LITs, 45 counselors, and a bevy of other volunteers all crammed in the lodge, and James is up front trying to disseminate the rules to a potentially crazy fun but abstractly complicated in the most ludicrous of ways game, it's important that everyone listens and understands the rules. Otherwise, it's chaos. Sure. I'm talking about one of our standard camp games. And loosely controlled chaos is sometimes the best we'll ever get. And sometimes, it's the best thing ever. So next time you're going mano a mano with a child possessing NASA rock star astronaut level creativity, what are you going to do? I hope you'll join them in their creativity. Because when a child witnesses an adult role model willing to tread outside the norms, one who's not only willing to fail, but to fail epically, is willing to be humiliated and laughed at and will join in the laughing, it gives the child the courage to take the risk of failing themselves. You see, children do not develop emotionally when we tell them to. They develop emotionally when we show them how. The most powerful way to develop independence and confidence in a child is to support and model their actions. Remember the movie, The Never-Ending Story? Remember how the nothing was slowly devouring their fantasy world? 
Remember how the nothing grew stronger because people had begun to lose their hopes and forget their dreams, leaving them with emptiness. Maybe creativity is like that. As we grow up, sometimes we lose the hopes and dreams required to defeat the nothing. We're left with emptiness. But life doesn't have to be that way. If you think like a child, you can create like a child. And you can retain your hopes and dreams. And, if you're lucky, maybe a giant luck dragon named Falkor will whisk you away on his back. Support a child's creativity by showing them your willingness to infuse your own life with creativity. Be a role model. Think like a rock star astronaut. Or a camp counselor. Better yet, think like a child. And miles to go before I sleep. I love a good road trip. When driving long distances, I can solve all the world's problems in five to six hours on the road. However, it takes significantly more time to resolve my own issues. And, of course, once I stop the vehicle, they all come rushing back. Speaking of road trips, I headed to Payson, Arizona to meet up with Kevin Fern. You remember him. He's the guy hoofing it across the entire United States, pushing an IV pole. He'd already traveled some 500 miles. Kevin had been at sea level, climbed to 6,000 feet, and trudged every elevation in between, up and down, over and over. And of course, he pushed his IV pole every step of the way. Impressive as that was, he was only one-seventh of the way to his destination. Kevin's strength, focus, and determination reminded me of a childhood cancer survivor. Oh wait, Kevin is a childhood cancer survivor. That explains a lot. Kevin was a healthy teen, but then some of his cells went rogue. Just after his 17th birthday, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he started on chemotherapy. This was the 1980s and each of the chemotherapy agents was pushed into his veins through a syringe. It was a painful process. Later, they attached him to an IV pump, and the chemo meds dripped in slowly over a matter of hours. This took away some of the burning, and began Kevin's convoluted relationship with his IV pole. He spent hours circling the children's cancer unit, pushing the IV pole for what he's confident was miles. But the chemo regime did not succeed. Kevin then had an exploratory surgery to see if the cancer had spread. The doctors rummaged through his torso, doing biopsies and looking for tumors. While they were there, they removed his spleen and appendix. Fortunately, they found the malignant cells were isolated to his chest. The next step was cobalt radiation for six weeks there was a real possibility they would irradiate his vocal cords, leaving him with no voice to tell his story. He did receive third-degree burns from the treatments, but fortunately his voice remained intact. This time the treatment was successful. That's when Kevin heard about Camp Can-Do, a childhood oncology camp, which was a new concept back then. Being he was now 18, he stepped into a counselor position. That makes him laugh today. 
Kevin says he was totally unprepared for the position and was actually more like a camper than a leader. But things went well, and he returned the next year. Side note. It was not all smooth road from there. Kevin had a precarious relationship with cancer and the cancer community before realigning himself as an ambassador for childhood cancer camps. More about that down the road. While he was en route to Payson, Kevin was pushing his pole just north of Phoenix when DPS officers pulled him over. They asked him if he was okay. He was. It turns out, when they asked him if he was okay, they actually meant okay in the head. The officers had received multiple calls about a crazy guy hooked up to an IV and pushing his pole north on State Highway 87. They thought he might have wandered off from the Mayo Clinic. Kevin showed the officers that what they took to be an IV bag was actually a water-bottled bladder hanging from the IV pole. He shared his mission with the officers, talked about childhood cancer, and the importance of childhood cancer camps. The officers took selfies and wished him luck before driving off. Pushing that IV pole symbolizes Kevin's personal battle with cancer. But, like many things, he takes it much further. Kevin says he's pushing the pole for all children battling cancer. And he does it not just to represent the battle, it's the win. When Kevin completes his quest, he intends to leave the pole at Boston Mass Hospital, where he was treated as a kid. Then he'll turn his back and walk away. He'll walk away with cancer in his past. The disease has helped shape him into the man he is today, but it will not hold sway over him any longer. Battling childhood cancer and attending childhood cancer camps molded me, he says. You go to the hospital to be treated, and then you go to camp to be cured. You might think that walking nine hours a day, day after day, would give your brain a chance to disengage. But Kevin says his brain runs rampant with thoughts of all the kids battling cancer. Many of their names are written on wristbands that hang from his pole. I asked him if he ever had thoughts of quitting. I just get out and push the pole, he told me. I don't need to know the details, I just keep going. When there's a hill, I dig in and go. Sand, I push harder. There can be no consideration of not finishing my trek. Every day, I just keep going. We walked through the town of Payson and headed eastward on Highway 260. Arizona Camp Sunrise is about 20 miles farther down the road. It seemed ridiculously far on foot. We walked and talked and walked and walked. I enjoyed our time, but seriously, nine hours a day? Every day? And most of the time, Kevin is so low. How daunting to walk and think while traveling the vast open expanses of America. We crested a hill. Me, breathing heavily, Kevin unfazed and we went single file on the road's thin shoulder. It was difficult to hold a conversation over the traffic whizzing by on our right. I contemplated Kevin's stamina, physical and mental, his drive to do something meaningful, and his belief in sharing the importance of childhood cancer camps while achieving something amazing. His never-waving confidence, good days and bad, 
He never stops believing. Oh, crap. A journey song just popped into my head. You know the one. Just a small-town girl living in a lonely world? Yikes! I've been song-poisoned. I'm sure you've been there. A snippet from a song wriggles its way into your brain and repeats itself over and over on an endless loop. I'm very susceptible, and I knew the song would not be leaving without a fight. Now, I don't mean to besmirch the band, nor the song, but you know. It goes on and on and on. Once the shoulder widened and we resumed walking side by side, I asked Kevin if he ever gets lonely. He doesn't. I asked if he ever finds himself talking to his IV pole. He does. I hated to bring it up, but I asked him, When you're out in the middle of nowhere, do you ever get a song stuck in your head? You know, song poisoning. His expression told me that he did know, and that he didn't take it lightly. He looked me in the eye and asked, What song? Journey, I told him. He nodded. Don't stop believing? Yep. I felt bad for even bringing it up. That's a rough one. Yep, I concurred. It's going on and on and on. Kevin pulled out his MP3 player and said, This is my 4,000 song remedy. That is a lot of songs. I just hope it's enough. Time with Uncle Bob. <laughs> Ain't that funkin' now? <laughs> Welcome back to the continuing story of the snurf that snarfed Camp Sunrise. After an extraordinary day, we all looked forward to movie night. Everyone brought their sleeping bags and pillows and blankets and staked out their place on the floor of the lodge. There was a giant screen up front and the smell of popcorn enveloped the entire room. The lights dimmed, and the movie began. We were barely through the opening credits when the picture got all jumbly. A high-pitched tone shrieked. Then the screen went to static. Then, darkness. No one knew what was happening, and we all looked to the Chewies to fix it. But then an explosion sounded, and the screen flashed with white light and the snurf emerged through the smoke. Guess who? He goaded. We were all silent, holding our breaths in the dark. No, really? Guess. One of the ladybugs pointed to the screen and cried out, It's the snurf! Bingo, sweetie! I'm the snurf! And I'm here to inform you I've destroyed your movie night and ruined your camp. <laughs> no, the campers pleaded. I've hijacked your movie and replaced it with a picture of a pickle. Sure enough, a picture of a giant green pickle filled the screen. Priceless, the snurf continued. Two full hours of watching a pickle. And guess what? It doesn't do anything. 
We all stared in disbelief. Because it's a pickle! He concluded. Just then, horizontal lines rolled across the screen, and the static and noise returned. The snurf could be heard saying, Hey! Stop that! And then, Where's my pickle? After a few more seconds of noise and nonsense, our pickleless movie resumed right where it had been interrupted. That was a close one. That's all for now, kids. But remember, camp goes on forever, and the adventure never ends. Thanks for tuning in to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. The kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors, and they're here to assist you, too. You can find additional episodes of the podcast and more about the book, Jello Wars, and other battles with childhood cancer at wallacebooks.com. That's W-A-L-L-A-S-S books.com. Just go to the website or search Wallace Books wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and like. You can learn more about Arizona Camp Sunrise at azcampsunrise.org. Podcast theme music by M-Dub Music. Sound effects from Sonic Boom. Keep listening to Wallace Books' Jello Wars podcast and let the kids change your life for the better. See you down the road.